we got into this fight with this one guy that wanted us to stack his wood in a strange way in his house around all the different fireplaces because I also didn't prepare for how people wanted the wood actually delivered. And my delivery guy got really pissed off, got in his pickup truck, and he drove off and left. Me and my little seven-year-old brother on the side of the street. You're listening to Financial Grown-Up with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of How to Be a Financial Grown-Up. And you know what? Being a grown-up is really hard, especially when it comes to money. But it's okay. We're going to get there together. I'm going to bring you one money story from a financial grown-up, one lesson, and then my take on how you can make it your own. We got this. Hey, friends. That was Million Dollar Listing New York star and author of Sell It Like Sirhant, Ryan Sirhant, getting real about his first sales experience, which did not go well. The good news is he learned his lessons young and it was up from there. And since this episode first aired in the fall, Ryan and his wife, Amelia, have become parents, making financial planning all the more important. Ryan continues to build his real estate business while starring in Bravo shows, including the previously mentioned Million Dollar Listing New York and Sell It Like Sirhant. Also, as I mentioned, the name of his best-selling book, which is all a bit ironic because Sirhant says he was not a natural-born salesman. That came later after learning from experience. So we talked about how he learned about sales and being successful in business. Here is Ryan Sirhant. Hey, Ryan Sirhant, you're a financial grown-up. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And happy Pub Day. We are taping this on the day that your amazing book, Sell It Like Sirhant, How to Sell More, Earn More, and Become the Ultimate Sales Machine is coming out. It's already a bestseller and comes on the heels of so much other success like Million Dollar Listing New York and my new obsession, your vlog. So congrats on all. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I want to talk to you about your money story that you brought. It has to do with the very first experience you had in sales, which makes perfect sense coming from the ultimate (laughs) sales guy. Tell us about the firewood and your brother. So I wasn't a natural salesperson. And I think it's very hard for people to be born as natural salespeople. And what that even means, there's, you know, I could write a whole nother book about it. But I was a very shy little kid. All I knew was that in order to be able to have money to spend, I had to make money. And if my parents weren't going to give it to me, and if I was in school and was too young to get a job, what could I do? And we lived on a farm outside Boston, and my little brother was seven. We were doing like a lot of my parents were kind of like cutting down trees and kind of making way for pastures and things like that. And I just saw all this all these trees laying all over the place. And I asked my dad one day, what are you doing with all those trees? He's like, well, they get cut up, they get sold off, they get turned into mulch. You know, he's, it just kind of gets recycled. And I was like, well, we have fireplaces in our house and we get firewood. Don't you buy that from somewhere? What if we take the trees and we cut it up and I sell the firewood? I had no idea how I was going to do it. Uh, it was not big enough to hold an ax, but my dad said, okay. She said, what's your company going to be called? If you're going to be a firewood selling company, And we took out a little ad in our local newspaper. I think it was called Ryan Jack. My little brother's name is Jack. uh, Firewood Company. I think that's literally what it was. Who paid for the ad, Ryan? We did out of our minimal allowance. Okay. So it was your startup capital cost. Yeah, that was our startup capital cost. Because they were doing all this tree clearing anyway, there was a wood splitter that was already there. And my little brother and I 
started splitting wood and we'd bulk it up into cords and we'd put it in the back of a pickup truck. And then we would get the guy that kind of was helping cut down the trees to be our delivery guy to then go supply people with their firewood. And that was our first little business. And it came crashing down. Yeah, that's what I was saying. There were some challenges, things you didn't think about. Yeah. Well, I didn't think about customer service and how to deal with people who are unhappy with their firewood. Like all I knew was I live at this house down the street as a bunch of cut down trees. We're going to cut it up and sell it. What do you mean that there's different types of firewood, different types of trees, different types of drying, like termites, all these things I didn't even think about. So we had some tough customers in the beginning. And I also didn't think about how I was going to get the wood anywhere. So I thought that the guy that was cutting down the trees was going to help and just help us drop it off for little kids. But he wanted to cut. And then uh, we got into this fight with this one guy that wanted us to stack his wood really, really in a strange way in his house around all the different fireplaces, because I also didn't prepare for how people wanted the wood actually delivered. And my delivery guy got really pissed off, got in his pickup truck, and he drove off and left. Me and my my little seven-year-old brother on the side of the street with this random guy. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. And so that was the end of our firewood business. So wait, in the end, was there a profit or a loss when all settled in? Definitely a loss. I don't know how much we lost because I I didn't really understand what my time was worth at 10 years old. Exactly. And our capital cost was like that one ad. We might have run two ads. I can't remember what they cost. Maybe it was, you know, 20 bucks an ad. So so it wasn't a huge loss, but it definitely was a, a ding to the self-esteem that maybe I don't want to run my own firewood selling business. Glad you moved on to real estate. What's the takeaway for our listeners? The takeaway from that is anticipate and be prepared with realistic expectations. Just having wood to chop down and sell it is a very, very small part of actually creating a firewood selling business. So you need to be prepared for all the objections and all the issues you're going to run into. Which are things that apply to all sales, which we'll get to in just a minute. I just want to get to your everyday money tip. Yeah, there's something that I have in the office that is a photo of myself as an 80-year-old man. There's this app you can get on your phone called the Faces app. Someone just showed it to me. And you take your photo of yourself and it realistically ages you, which is pretty crazy. But that photo is future Ryan. And every day I think about that guy because, I mean, it feels like just yesterday that I was that 10-year-old kid selling firewood or trying to sell it anyway. Before I know it, I'm going to be that guy. And everything I do today is for him. It's not for Ryan this coming weekend. It's not for Ryan next year. All of that is going to happen regardless. But I don't want 80-year-old Ryan pissed off at 34-year-old Ryan because he made poor money decisions or poor savings decisions or he's just spent too much. I mean, that's, that is my money tip. And which is a great one. So is there a specific, can you remember maybe one example of you kind of not being that motivated and then looking at that photo and being like, yeah, I got to do this? Every time I think about spending money on things I don't need, I look at that photo. It's just like, I, and I don't want to sound cheap, but I don't need that many pairs of shoes. I, I run around in the suit all day long. You know, I don't need that many suits, like little things where I could have spent money. And just because I have it or just because whatever, it's just credit. I think about that. I'm like, you know what? I should save it. Because compound interest is a powerful thing, and it's better off just being saved because you never know what could happen. And at the end of the day, I got into the sales business the day Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy, and I will never forget the pain that a lot of people went through at the end of 2008. And that's going to come back again. I don't know when, 
but it's probably going to come back multiple times by the time that I'm that old man in the photo that I have by my computer screen. Let's talk about your book because I'm learning so much, not so much in, as someone that sells, but as someone that is sold too. So it's quite eye-opening, Ryan, the oh, amazing you. things that happen. It's kind of written as an offense, but it can also be defense. So I want to yes. go through some of my favorite things and your favorite things in the book. We talked before we started taping about your day. Tell us how a successful person at age, by the way, you're all of 34. You're always one of the journal's top salespeople. You've been winning all kinds of accolades as a salesperson, and you're only 34. What do you do? What's your day look like? I start my day at 4.30, Monday through Friday. And it's it's just because I want to squeeze out as much of the day as I possibly can. Are you sleeping at 8 o'clock? Or, I mean, are you? how much sleep do you no, get? No, I go to bed. I try to go to bed by 11. So you don't sleep a lot of hours? Not Monday through Friday. I'll sleep in on Saturdays till like 8 or so. A lot of people just wake up and go to a job or go to work. And they don't really sit down and try to game plan for their career. And I only have a few things during the day that I do that I consider part of my job. Everything else I do is for growth and for my career as a whole to make that 80-year-old guy happy one day. And a lot of that goes down to how you structure your actual day. And for any salespeople who are listening, any entrepreneurs, anybody who really answers to themselves, I had to figure out, like, what do I do at 9 a.m.? Do I cold call? Do I go out on the streets? No one's telling me what to do. And so I looked at the top companies in the world, even though I was just one person. And I said, okay, all these top companies have CEOs, CFOs, COOs. I need to have the same thing, even though I'm just one person. So that means I got to do it all on my own and not all at the same time. I need to separate it. So you know what? The CEO, I'm going to call the finder because I'm not really my own CEO, but I can be a finder of new business, a finder of new leads, a finder of, of work that the rest of my company can do for the rest of the day. And I'm going to do that from 8 to 10 a.m. 12 to 1 p.m. I would be the keeper. So that's the CFO hour. So that's when I would think about, okay, well, I have $10 to spend today. How many stamps can I buy with that $10? And I would think about the kind of the financial health of my quote unquote company, which when I first started was non-existent. And now <laughs> it's really thinking about all the advertising budgets that we have right. and the people and the moving and the salaries. And then the rest of the day I'd spend being the doer. So finder, keeper, doer is what I call it. FKD. Uh, mm -hmm. So finder, keeper, doer. And the rest of the day I'd spend as the doer, which is the COO. So that's operations. That's doing the right. work. That's which doing... is stuff you can delegate more now. Yeah. Which now the majority of my day is as the finder. When I started, the majority of my day was as the doer. I'd think for half an hour or an hour, so I didn't have that much to think about as to how I wanted to grow my business. I didn't have any money, so that wouldn't take me that long to think about. And then the rest of the day, I'd put everything into action. Now I have a team that can handle a lot of the doer work and a team of accountants and bookkeepers that can handle a lot of the financials. And I spend 75% of my day as the finder, as that CEO trying to build the business. One thing I loved regarding finder and getting new business in the book was your strategy initially, and I don't know if you still do this, I can't imagine you have time to do this. You saw that it was working to meet people at the gym, potential clients. So you expanded on that. Yes. I think it's important to do what works for you and then just to do it over and over again in as many different places as you can. Like I knew when I first moved to New York City, I'm not from New York. 
I, it's not going to help me or be a good use of my time to go to school functions that other brokers are going to just because they went to school on the Upper East Side or to go to the church or go to the synagogue, you know, just to say that I'm religious, but I'm not just to meet people, which is what most salespeople do. So for me, I really had work and I would go to the gym. And the gym was a good place for me to meet people who had a similar interest, which was kind of general fitness. And if I go to a nice gym, maybe they also could afford a nice apartment so they could afford a nice gym. And that worked. And I saw it worked. And I said, okay, you know what? This is now my thing. So I'm going to go to another gym as well. And then I'm going to go to another gym. And I'm going to go to as many gyms as I can because that's what works for me. And that's going to be where I build my network. And for the first couple of years, that's really what I did. What is the thing that you make people do if they really want to work for you? It's not just about one follow-up. Oh, I make them follow up for a considerable period of time because the power of follow-up is my whole business. I mean, deals live and die by how persistent I am to get the deal done. And I tell everybody, like, I don't work for anyone. I work for the deal all the time as a salesperson. And my job is to get that deal done to everybody's benefit. And so if people want to work for me, I interview them for sure. I have them interview a couple people on the team, but then I just, I cold them. I, I let them sit and I wait to see how often they're going to follow up with me. Most people will follow up once, twice, maybe three times. And after that, they let it go. You know how many deals I would have lost if I let it go after three follow-ups? Unbelievable. So I can't have that kind of person on my team. They got to want to be on my team more than I want them to be there because that's the person who's going to be hungry enough to get difficult deals done for me. So much amazing information in your book and on your vlog, by the way. We didn't really talk about that. That's, you know, Million Dollar Listing. I didn't really realize this until you talked about it in your book. It's only on for three months of the year. So people need to be watching your vlog. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I put it out there as as a way to put out a lot of the rest of my life um, and a lot of things that just aren't on Bravo. You know, Bravo is real estate focused and it follows the individual deals. It's not with me in the car 24 hours a day, kind of in my thoughts and in my mindset. And that's, that's what the blog is for. Awesome. All right. Tell people where they can find you, follow you, find out more, get the book, all that good stuff. You know, the book just came out today. It's called Sell It Like Hand. It's everywhere. Books are sold. Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can find all the links at sellitlikesirhant.com. You can find me across all social media platforms at Ryan Sirhant. And the vlog is at youtube.com slash Ryan Sirhant. Thank you, Ryan. This was great. Thank you. So let's unpack some of the things that Ryan said. Financial grown-up tip number one. I read Ryan's book twice. The reason I went back was to take notes. Now, I'm not in sales, at least not in a direct way. But I think it is important for all of us to understand how sales work and the specific techniques that are being used so you can spot them. I joke about offense and defense, but that is important too, because if we're being honest, who hasn't bonded with a salesperson and then because of that felt they should, and sometimes did, buy something they maybe wouldn't have bought otherwise. Always know that a good salesperson, like Ryan, will be in it for the long haul, and you can just push back. And even if you aren't a customer now, you may be in the future. Also, the next best thing you can do is refer them to friends and family as potential customers. It's okay to do what's right for you, even if you feel an allegiance to the salesperson. We're all human. Financial grown-up tip number two. Ryan talks about how he studied the most successful companies and what top executives do. 
take this to a micro level and find someone that you admire and ask them if they will talk to you. It can be coffee, a meal, or going for a walk. And if you can, maybe even ask if you can shadow them for a day at work. I did this early in my career. Just observe and learn. And if they're open to it, ask a lot of questions. Most people are flattered. Big thanks to all of you for joining us. If you haven't already, subscribe. And while you're at it, go to the custom settings and make sure you have it set for auto download so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And also please tell your friends if you enjoy this podcast, we really wanna grow the community and we need your help. And when you subscribe, please be in touch. Let me know that you did so and let me know what you are enjoying about the show and what you want to hear more of. We wanna serve you, our financial grown-up community and bring you the information and the stories that you wanna hear. Maybe make some guest suggestions. You can DM me on all the socials, on Instagram at bobbyrebel one on Twitter at bobbyrebel. You can also just old-fashioned email me, hello at financialgrownup.com. Truly grateful also to the fantastic Ryan Serhant of Million Dollar Listing New York and also author of that best-selling book, Sell It Like Serhant, for helping us all get one step closer to being financial grown-ups. Financial Grown-Up with Bobby Rebel is edited and produced by Steve Stewart and is a BRK Media production.